This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Friday, March 25th. I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, Mountain Village approves conceptual plan for new hotel development, a day in the life of a miner with Finton Cole, a classical dive for the listening club, and a mountain weather forecast. A new hotel development in Mountain Village cleared its first hurdle last week. Mountain Village's Design Review Board and Town Council approved the conceptual plan for the proposed development, a mix of a five-star hotel, condominiums, a restaurant, spa, and open space. The project would sit on the lot just next to the Gondola Plaza in Mountain Village, extending towards Wagner Plaza and the Conference Center. The approval comes after developers shifted the design to address a number of concerns from the DRB at a meeting last month. Here's Mountain Village planner Amy Ward. There was concerns regarding the verticality and the lack of human scale within the wall forms. And the building is now stepping down in form at both the roof and the plaza areas, better meeting its site. Um, it's showing more variation in the natural materials. The walls are no longer cantilevered, so it is showing as a more of a grounded form. And that stone area that is that grounded base form proceed, you know, projects through the building up into various elements, chimneys, um, some, of these, some of these taller vertical ele- elements within the building. The revised design came back with a slightly darker color palette, highlighting stone, wood, bronze, glass, and metal. There will be walking paths between several buildings on the lots with staircases connecting the development to other plazas in the village. Kristen Murray is one of the architects working on the project. She acknowledges the design looks a little different from other buildings in the village core, but she says they're still aiming for cohesion. I think we feel that even if our language is, is somewhat more contemporary, there's a lot of, um, a lot of similarity and a, and a lot of um, integration between the colors and tones that we're proposing. With the adjustments, developers are still looking for a number of waivers or variances from Mountain Village's Community Development Code, including height variances to allow buildings up to 96 feet tall, from the average 60 feet. That height is one of the main concerns for members of the community. Sherry Steinberg is an attorney representing a homeowner of a neighboring lot. Repeated mention was made by the applicant that they chose less density for the residential towers in order to reduce the footprint of the site, maximize open space, and provide view corridors for its neighbors. While some of this is certainly true, with all respect, we also know that selling a tall, high-end residence with views is more beneficial to the applicant than building large and low. And as our client has stated, his view corridors are not at all being protected. Winston Kelly is worried about height as well. He also has concerns about staffing the development in the future. I've been in favor of this hotel in 161 for a long time. Um, I'd like to see more focus on the housing and the community benefits. With 124 rooms and 2.5 employees per room to maintain five-star service, that's 310 employees. Um, I would like to see more focus on that. But for others who provided comment at the meeting, including Mark Salter, it's important to do what it takes to move the project forward. We finally have the premier developer for this type of project that we're ever going to get. And we need to figure out a way to get this project done with this developer. It's going to improve the quality for all residents, not just um, you know, people in, in Mountain Village, also for people in the town of Telluride. You know, a five-star hotel is much needed to really 
raise Telluride to the level where it deserves. We should be right up there with Aspen and Vail and, you know, other resorts around the country. For DRB member David Craig, he understands the concern about height. Asking for a greater than 50 percent variance to the height is, uh, it's a hard ask. But he's still in support of the project. You, you couldn't ask for a better developer, more qualified developer to bring a, a first class property to this town. So um, I, I think at, when this is all said and done, this will be a, a beautiful addition to Mountain Village. And Craig, along with the majority of the DRB and town council, note they will have more opportunity to give feedback and approval on the design as it moves through the preliminary and final design phases. The Design Review Board approved the conceptual plan for the development. Board member Kath Jett was alone no vote, noting the height variance as the reason. Mountain Village Town Council unanimously approved the plan. You can't touch this. You can't touch this. It's lacrosse and soccer season at Telluride High School. This week on A Day in the Life of a Minor, Telluride High School's Finton Cole brings the latest and greatest. Have a listen. This is Finton Cole on your sports update. My lacrosse team won again 6 to nothing against the Montrose Indians. I had two shots on goal, but they both missed. I had eight picks, one of which cost my team the ball, but we still won. And I also got smacked in the head, but lucky thing I was wearing a helmet. We are 2-0 overall, and we can't wait to win our next game. Girls soccer shut out the Ignacio Bacats 10-0 and got their first win. A cakewalk was made on a fellow teammate's 15th birthday. They had a game against the Ridgeway Demons, and they won 2 to nothing. And they have another game against the Crested Butte Titans. I wish you the best of luck. Girls Lacrosse lost to the Santa Fe Prep Griffin 7-5, but got their first win against the Durango Red Demons 10-8. They are 1-1 one one overall, and first in the 4A Women's Mountain League. If they can improve to 3-1, they'll be in the clear. That was your sports update for this week. I'm Fenton Cole, reporting live from Telluride High School, and we'll see you next week. This Monday, the Wilkinson Public Library holds its monthly listening club. It's like a book club, but for albums. Annika Dean will lead the March Club about her work of choice, Shostakovich's String Quartet No. 8. KOTO's Matt Hoysh spoke with Dean about her selection. This one's just always been a very special piece to me. I got to perform it when I was in high school, and the first time I ever saw it performed live was also by a student quartet when I was maybe 13 or 14 years old at a uh, music camp out in Boulder. And I don't know, the piece just really stuck with me. When I first took interest in classical music, I was probably three years old, and I got to go see the Colorado Symphony Orchestra, and I just said, that's what I want to do. And, you know, a few years later, my dad got me a violin, and I started lessons, and I just never looked back from there. 
It's a very challenging piece to play, and so especially from, you know, it's just a group of high schoolers playing this, and I just thought that's amazing that they can do something like that, and I also wanted to be that high schooler playing music that challenging one day, and I was. And The first violin part, for one, is probably the second movement of the piece, especially, is it's really fast and it's really high up on the fingerboard. You know, you got your first position, which is easy to find, and your third position is easy to find on the instrument, but then anything kind of above third position gets to be no man's land, and this gets all the way up to, I want to say, like seventh position or something. Shostakovich. He was born in 1906, and he lived through the whole Soviet Union time. So he joined the Communist Party only because he felt like it was his only way of survival, and later on wrote this quartet. It's a very agonizing piece. The second movement that I mentioned earlier is very loud and boisterous, if you will, and violent in a way. And the first movement that leads into it is kind of an introduction, and it's got this sadness to it. And the third movement has, it's kind of a mockery of his own misery. the fourth movement, historians have kind of discussed whether it's the sound of bombs dropping or if it's the sound of angry communist party members knocking on his door. The fifth movement is, um, he kind of brings it full circle, and it sounds very, very similar to the first movement, but it gets a little more intense. He incorporates all these emotions and feelings around the things that are going on in Russia at that time, and in Europe all, all over at that time, and just incorporates those aspects, those sounds, and those feelings that he has into each movement. I hope, if anything, it gives people a taste of what my many years in music school was like, and maybe sparks some interest in classical music. I can't remember a time where I wasn't interested in this. Some of the most moving experiences in my life were sitting in a concert hall listening to an orchestra perform. I think that's just music in general. <laughs>
being able to be so moved by music that you're brought to tears or you have goosebumps or whatever. And I think that classical music is perfectly capable of that. And I just don't think that enough people are aware that it's capable of that. Annika Dean will lead the March Listening Club on Shostakovich's String Quartet Number no. 8 on Monday, March 28th from 6 to 7 p.m. at the Telluride Music Company. More information is available at telluridelibrary.org. The Telluride Regional Medical Center is investing in higher quality care for its LGBTQ patients. Last fall, the Med Center received $25,000 in grant funding from the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment to address health disparities and inequities in its care. According to the Medical Center, leadership began to look for ways to improve care for the LGBTQ community after some patients voiced concerns about feeling uncomfortable and unsafe accessing care at the facility. In order to provide more appropriate and better informed care, MedCenter staff received trainings from experts at Denver Health and the Mayo Clinic discussing gender-affirming care. The presentations discussed everything from using the correct terminology to understanding gender-affirming tools and how to create a more inclusive environment. In addition, the Med Center is working to include information on sexual orientation and gender identity in its electronic health records. The Med Center notes having more inclusive information will help providers deliver more patient-centered care and identify health disparities. The Colorado Department of Transportation will be performing crack sealing operations on Highway 550 starting next week. The work will take place between Ridgeway and Ure, a six-mile stretch between mile markers 100 and 94. Work will take place weather permitting. During work hours, drivers will encounter full stops and lane closures. Motorists should expect up to 15 minutes delay. Construction will take place Monday through Friday, starting March 28th and wrapping up on Friday, April 4th. Work will run from 8 a.m. to 4.30 p.m. Colorado lawmakers are unveiling a bipartisan bill they say will help prevent deaths from fentanyl. As KOTO Scott Franz reports, the measure would increase criminal penalties for people who distribute the drug. The state health department says fentanyl killed more than 800 people in Colorado last year. The new bill also includes money for public awareness campaigns and millions of dollars to treat people who are overdosing. Governor Jared Polis is backing the latest effort. It gets more testing kits in the field to identify fentanyl earlier and for investigators to be able to trace it back and hold the sources accountable under the law rather than have to follow a trail of bodies uh, when it's too late. People who possess less than four grams of the drug will still only face misdemeanor charges under the bill. Some prosecutors are calling on the state to go further and make it a felony. I'm Scott Franz at the state capitol. A new study of Lake Powell shows capacity in the nation's second largest reservoir continues to shrink thanks to a steady stream of sediment. 
It's the first study of Powell's capacity since the 1980s, and new research indicates the reservoir can hold 7% less water than when it was built. The buildup of sediment is not expected to interfere with hydropower at the Glen Canyon Dam. A continuing 22-year drought is causing record lows, and water officials say more cutbacks and emergency measures will be needed to keep water flowing. Elections for Colorado's 3rd Congressional District will be here before you know it. In anticipation of the hotly contested race, KVNF Radio spoke with candidates running to represent the Western Slope in Congress. Here's Kate Redmond speaking with Democrat Sol Sandoval. Colorado District House of Representatives candidate Sol Sandoval is the daughter of immigrants who came here seeking a better life. She was born in Colorado and graduated from CSU in Pueblo. She is a working mom of two social worker, faith-based community organizer, and an advocate for health equity. She has been campaigning in the state for over a year to unseat Lauren Boebert. I asked her how her fundraising has been going. As someone who doesn't have generational wealth, as someone who is working so, so hard to fundraise, I have to share with you because this is important for people to know. There are other candidates who report they have a lot of money, but it's money that's from their pocket. I am literally the only candidate who's raised the most. I've already raised more than half a million dollars, and my average contribution is $27. What do you think is the single most important issue facing the residents of the 3rd District? It seems like every other year someone comes by and wants to steal the water that literally originates from CD3. So I would say one of the most important issues is absolutely fighting for our water. There's so many industries like the ag industry that rely on it. So I would say absolutely water. What is a specific piece of signature legislation you want to author in Congress? The very first bill that I would sponsor to protect our democracy would be the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. We are extremely fortunate that here in Colorado, we actually had just in 2020, 86 voter turnout, which was second highest in the entire nation. And so we know that we have a great system in place, but now we need to elect people like myself who will actually hold clerks accountable to ensure that they're fulfilling their duties as trusted elected officials and to make sure that the entire nation can enjoy the exact same voting process. Talk about your involvement with water conservation, water delivery, and protecting watersheds. Even as a candidate, I have already started having conversations, developing relationships with Republicans. I recently met with Senator Cleve Simpson because I realized that this is something that is important to the entire district and not just Democrats. We are going to have to collaborate across party lines to protect our water. Most recently, RWR, Renewable Water Resources, they're wanting to come in with their buy and dry scheme. And we know that there are some powerful developers who are supporting this. And so if elected, I will send a clear message that our water is not for sale. It's time to put Colorado first. Talk about how you think our current Congress member Lauren Boebert is doing. She's really not representing us and she's utilizing her platform as a way to just pick fights on the internet and boost her likes on Twitter. We need a representative who is committed to improving people's lives, who cares about working people, who cares about farmers, ranchers, small businesses. She has literally turned down everything that would improve our lives and improve the district. 
Just to name a few, she voted no on the I-70 Aspen improvement, voted no against protecting seniors from emergency scams, no to the American Rescue Plan, which would have actually helped small businesses, no in support of violence against women, <laughs> no in support of Equal Credit Act that would protect LGBTQ businesses, no to drug-free communities, no to fentanyl sanctions. I mean, I can go on and on and on and no on the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, right? Something that would be my top priority coming in because in order to preserve our democracy, we have to make sure that it's accessible to everyone, right? Not just to the Dems, not just to the Republicans, to everyone. Sandoval is seeking to get on the Democratic Party's ballot through caucuses. She has received endorsements from Diana Mitch Bush, Working Families Party, Democracy for America, Emerge, Six Pack, Crazy Eight Pack, Colorado Rising, and Sal Pace. Reporting for KVNF, I'm Kate Redmond. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for clear skies tonight with a low around freezing. Saturday should be sunny during the day and partly cloudy at night. The high is near 60 degrees with a low in the mid-30s. Sunday expect mostly sunny skies with a high near 60. Sunday night should be partly cloudy with a low around 35 degrees. This has been the news for Friday, March 25th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206. We would like to thank everyone who donated to Kodo during our winter fund drive. A huge thank you to Mark Backenberg, Ascenzo Di Giacomo, Megan Berg, Mohanna, Brett Lemker, Blake Bookstaff, Kara Hobson, Brad Genson, Chris Brooks, Dylan Brooks, and Wendy Brooks, Deanna Farrell, Christopher Brown, Janice Girona, Laura and Geneva Shawnette, Randy Hayes, Andrea Knorr, Carl Watson, Deborah Draper, Tom and Terry Gabron, Abby Hellman, Mark Charles, Angela Dye and Bob Mather, Dustin Clements, Evan McMillan, Thatcher Marstead, David and Deborah Cohen, James Liu, Fletcher Otwell, Hillary and Max Cooper, Ruth Felicelli, Daniel Koopel, Charles Pine, John Coppola, Patrick and Susan Carr, and Gary Rodriguez. Thank you all so much.